God is good. Amen. So good. So when we have graduates, we give them this book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. It's by a man named John Piper. Um, I just like the book. It's a really good reminder. I like the message in the book. It's a really good reminder. Don't waste your life. And how many of you know, like, you've got to be reminded of that more than just when, like, at a graduating sermon? <laughs> you need the reminder at 25 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. <laughs> Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Jesus said this, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. For the graduates, for the students coming after them, for all of us who graduated before them, there's something that has to come alive in each one of us. If it hasn't come alive yet, it could come alive today. And that is the sense that my life needs to matter. My life needs to count. And the only real way it can is surrender to Jesus. That's it. The only real way my life can count is surrender to Jesus because then everything I touch becomes an eternal touch. Everything I touch then ripples into eternity. I'm not just doing senseless acts of kindness and random good. I'm intentionally doing what the Father is saying to do. I'm intentionally saying what the Father in heaven is saying. And his, what he's doing is eternal. What he's doing, this one word affects this person, that affects this person, right? Everything you touch becomes exponential when you're guided by him. Will your life matter? Will your life count? C.T. Studd said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's true. Jesus talks about, in the end, as you stand before God, there's this, um, there's this fire, right? And your whole life, the contents of your life get poured into it. And what comes out of the fire are the things that are eternal. And they come out like gold. And the things that are temporal just burn up in the fire. They're not necessarily bad things, right? It's not saying like evil things, but only the things that were eternal end up lasting and mattering. Only when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Even if you're 18 years old in this room, your life is still a vapor. It's fast. Some people in this room have 10 years left. Some have 70, but it's fast. That's fast. That's a vapor. So will your life matter? Will your life count? And how will you measure that? How will you measure that? You have one life one eternity-shaping life, how will you use it? The fact is, some people could have 80 years in front of them and waste all of them. You might have two years in front of you and change the world. What will you do? How will it matter and how will you measure it? When people were asked on a Pew Research poll what constitute, what constitute a good life, like if they could have one thing in life or if they had to define a good life. There were lots of different answers, and things got distilled into these two things. Comfort and being liked. What would constitute a good life? 
people would say things like, well, if I got a good job and if I could find a wife or a husband, I had a nice car, had a nice house, if we could be healthy until we died, if we could retire early and maybe spend, you know, 20, 30 retirement years on a boat somewhere and peaceful, basically, peaceful life, no trouble. That would be a great life. Others, what it boiled down to is being liked. Again, kind of peace and comfort, no trouble. I like to be liked. For those of you in the millennial generation and then the Z generation, right? I mean, people are posting stuff on social media to be liked, right? Nobody's lips actually go like this. Like none, nobody. No one's fooled by the duck lips. Why do we do it? I want someone to think I'm beautiful. I want to be liked. I want, right? Maybe I'll feel, why do you, if you're fulfilled, you don't have to make duck lips. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something you're looking for. Just being real. There's something you're looking for in posting that kind of stuff, right? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's good to stop and ask myself, why? What am I, what am I getting out of it? What is this, what am I really wanting? Because there's probably a legitimate need there that I'm trying to fill with this thing. And it probably isn't going to work. People wanted to be liked and they wanted to be comfortable. There's a man named Peter. Obertriago. He was in some ways of God pastor in Burkino Faso. And two weeks ago, he was killed along with his son and three other congregants when they were leaving church by some Muslim jihadists there in the town. And they went on the next week, killed a Catholic priest and some congregants coming out of that church as well. Peter Odriago um, was told by that Leadership of the Burkino Fats was of God. They said, your city is too dangerous. You should go. You should take your family. You should go. And he said, but if I leave, the people in the church may not be strong enough to not renounce Christ. If they see me go. And so he stayed. that same thing is playing out all over our world right now. Christians being martyred. If you think about Peter or Drago's life, you know, is it a tragedy that that happened to him? Is that what we call a tragedy? And I want to assert to you today, his life is the tragedy. 
the person who's living to get a house and a car and to have no trouble and to live on a boat for the last 30 years and do nothing of eternal significance. That life is a tragedy. Peter's life wasn't. Because if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it'll die, but it won't abide alone. It's going to bear much fruit. And his life will. Sorry. Philippians 3.8 says, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. <laughs> the house, the car, the boat, the, nothing wrong with those things. If you see him in light of eternity. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ. I woke up yesterday and I, I, I never have headaches. I have other stuff, but I never, I never have headaches. I know some of you do. And um, it was, I've never had a headache like this. It was like, you open your eyes, you immediately close them. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and thinking thoughts hurt. How many of you have had a headache like that? Where you almost, you can't even think thoughts. You're like, I got to clear my head because that hurts. Some of you, how many of you have? I've never. Have you have? I did not know that could happen to somebody. That's, it was bad. And I thought, man, I just need to close my eyes and stop thinking thoughts. You know, because usually if you're sick, you can like, you can at least like a Netflix binge or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't want any light, nothing. Um, and I thought, Jesus, if I could just fall asleep. You know, if I could just sweet sleep. Some of you are nodding like you've been there. I never knew. I was like, if I could just fall asleep. I fell asleep. So this was early in the morning. I woke up at one. Yes. I woke up at one and it was gone. And I thought, thank God. Like that was terrible. I can't believe some people live with that, right? Um, so I woke up and, I, and the first thing I thought was like, thank God it's gone. The second thing I thought was like, I've wasted the most useful part of the day. This is a wasted day. And then I immediately had a thought, well, actually over a period of time it kind of developed, but I immediately thought, you know, there are so many people who don't know Jesus and their minds hurt them all the time, all with no peace, constantly tormented. They might be in a suit. They might be laying on the street. <laughs> They might be the person that seems all together like she packed all her kids' organic lunches still in May. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
but their mind is painful. And maybe just to numb it, you take some stuff. Maybe you, just to numb it, you, you know what I'm saying? You put some drugs in your body just because you can't, you can't deal with what your mind is doing. You're not trying to make bad decisions. You just can't handle what's here. Tormented by thoughts, tormented maybe by past things. And I thought, you know, some of us, we go through seasons where we have struggles. And what's the only relief in those struggles? You can call out to Jesus, right? And you, his presence comes. You can come into worship. You can, it's not that Christians never have struggles, but it's like, I have Jesus. And I can, I can go find peace. I can go find it. I know the Prince of Peace. I can go find it. Imagine if that was your, if that was your mind. And you had no place to go where it could be abated. No place to go where you could find peace. Now imagine your neighbor goes to this church. <laughs> Wouldn't you hope that if they had peace and they knew where to find it, they might tell you about it? That has eternal use. We forget, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you can forget how good he is. You know, what was it like before? He's so good. John 12, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Matthew 16. We're just going to walk through this quickly because you can see the comfort, the to be liked, and the challenge. Will you follow me? Will you be willing to lose your life for my sake? Matthew 16, one day, Jesus had just fed all of the thousands of people. One of the times he did. Matthew 16, verse 1. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather tomorrow. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs in the times. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. So think about this. He's just fed people. He's just done all these miraculous things. He's been healing people. And the Pharisees, who by now, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders by now, who should know he's the Messiah, because he's doing the Messiah's miracle, right? Not only is he doing miracles, not only is he speaking the word, um, but he specifically is doing the Messiah's miracle. We know from the book of John that no one had ever opened blind eyes, ever in the history of the world. But the Messiah was going to. Isaiah prophesied it. The Messiah would open blind eyes, and he's been opening blind eyes everywhere he goes. And he's been intentionally opening blind eyes in a very obvious way that was ticking all the Pharisees off, making mud and putting on their eyes. You've worked on the Sabbath. 
because you spit in the ground and made mud. He just healed a blind eye. Like, that's the Messiah's miracle. Like, you should be pretty excited. You're mad about the mud, right? So he's constantly showing them. So by now they should know he's the Messiah. So what do they say to him? They say, do more miracles for us. Come do more miracles. You want us to believe? Do another one. And he says, it's a vain and foolish generation that seeks after signs and wonders. Now, we believe in healing in this house, and we see healing in this house. We believe the miraculous. We believe in signs and wonders. But you know what? I don't need them to believe. He doesn't, he doesn't owe me a thing. He doesn't have to do one more thing for me to believe. I believe. But I, he says he wants to confirm his word through signs and wonders for those who don't believe. And so I'm glad to see them. But as a believer, I don't need them to believe. So what do they say? They already have everything they need to believe. What are they saying? Do one more miracle. Do one more thing. Do one more sign and wonder. How many people, even people sitting in church on Sunday all over the country, are coming to Jesus because they think he's the way to make my life comfortable? Now if I do everything right, Jesus will make my life comfortable. If I do everything right, he'll, right? And you know this is what they think because when something goes wrong, what do they say? God, how could you? I tithed. You owe me, right? How could you, God? How could I lose my job? How could that loved one die? How, what is it? Because I, I came to you and here's our agreement. Your job is to make my life comfortable. Your job is to make sure there's no adversity. When what Jesus promised was, if you follow me, things will get hard. You will take up your cross to follow me. And you only go one place with a cross in the Roman era, and that was up to the hill where everyone dies. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many in this room, we've said, yeah, there's times where I've kind of treated God like his role in my life is to make everything easy. When that's like the one thing he never promised us. Every single apostle except for John was martyred. Every single one. And they tried to martyr John, but he's Rasputin, so they couldn't. You know what I'm saying? Like they tried multiple times. But do you see? Do one more miracle for us, Jesus. And he says, that's not what this is about. He said, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Who's in the belly of the whale for three days. And then miraculously... All reports where he was dead, but he came back to life. That's the only sign you're going to get from me now. Which is the one sign we all needed. That he'd be the first to rise, that we could all rise. Right? Later, after they crossed the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees as they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread, Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? What happened the day before? Jesus fed thousands with nothing. Why didn't you bring the bread? Lucas, I need carbs. Why didn't you bring me bread? He just made food out of nothing, Right? And they're going to sit and get distracted about who didn't bring the bread. 
They're going to have all this disunity over who didn't bring bread when he can make it like, you know, right? He knows they're arguing about the bread. <laughs> you're Jesus. You're not far from dying. You've got to be so frustrated. These are your guys. You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets left over you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and the bread. But about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, what a deceptive, pernicious idea about God that his job is to make me comfortable. Beware. Now, there's a lot of reasons he's saying beware of them, but, I mean, beware. Beware. How easy it is to make God when you live in a comfortable country where there's enough compared to the rest of the world. How easy it is to reduce God to just give him the extras. When he says, I want your whole life, if you're going to follow me. And anything less is lukewarm. And not only are you miserable, but you're not in a relationship. Right? Are you with me? It's, it's heavy for a humid day. Okay, here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, which is the confession, right, that he is the Christ. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him by saying such things as, Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Peter, newly inflated from the encouragement, is like, Lord. So Jesus starts talking about, There's going to be suffering. I'm going to die. Right? I'm going to be handed over and die. Lord, it will not be so. Look around us. We're growing in popularity. Look around us. Everyone loves us. This isn't how it will be. 
Help, let me manage you. I'll be your new manager. And Jesus says, it'll go exactly like that. Because he was on an eternal mission. And the praise of men is never part of the eternal mission. <laughs> In the seasons where you have it, fine. But if you travel with him for the long haul, you will have to go through seasons where you don't have the praise of men. In our culture right now, and especially if I think about the Gen Xers and the Gen Zs and the Gen, the millennials, everyone in the room, but especially the younger you get, the more that you've been indoctrinated to believe things that are contrary to the Bible. The more that you run into things in the Bible about human sexuality and different areas, and you think, oh, I could lose some friends if I believe this. I could get hated on. Some of you in this room, if you were to like certain posts on Facebook that aren't mean or angry, but just speaking truth, you could lose your job. Want to be comfortable, want to be liked, that'd be a great life. If those are the end goals of any life, the tragedy, because Jesus promised, There'll be seasons where it's hard and where people will turn against you. Stick with me. Stick with me. I would encourage you, those of you who are younger, there are things the Bible says that contradict what's happening in our culture, but God's ways always lead to life. God's ways always lead to life. And there are things that masquerade as kindness and love that will take you straight to death. If it's outside of what God says, it will lead to death and not life. The scripture that Denise read so beautifully this morning from Isaiah, I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up and his train fills the temple, right? So if, you're, if you were a king in that area or you were a, a royal person, you'd come in and the length of your train would show like how important you are. Those are your peacock feathers, right? Little train, you know, little man, big train, king, right? So Isaiah said, I looked and I saw the Lord. And just the train of his robe filled the temple. There's no one greater. There's no longer train than his. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And then he realizes in his presence, he's holy. He's holy and I am undone. Isaiah was like the most righteous man of his generation. And yet in the presence of God, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Purify me that I could be clean. If you want the presence of God in your life, if you want to follow him, then the ways that our culture has diverged from him, you're going to have to stick with him. The ways that our culture says this way and not that way, you're going to have to go where he's going. I can't help it. I, I, it's music. I can't help it. Okay. 
You're gonna have to stick with him. How do you know what I'm talking about? There's no way around it. See, it's not really a problem. I don't want to embarrass someone. It's not really a problem. It's just I want to move because it's music. You cannot help it. And then I, I get distracted. <laughs> Squirrel. Uh, <laughs> he's holy. He's holy. Which means there's times you'll make choices you won't be liked. There are people you won't be able to date. They're not going where he's going. There are people who will walk away from you because his presence is making them uncomfortable. And it's not that you don't love them and that you're closing the door on them. It's just there are some people who don't like that you host the presence of God. So count the cost. If most people answer what would make a good life, their answers are be comfortable and be liked, then we're going to have to count the cost in this room and say we die to those things. It's not that God can't bless us. It's not that people can't like us. But if we're living for those things, we will not be able to live for him. That's just the truth. So Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see his kingdom come. Thank you, God, right? As the Spirit came, his kingdom came. Whoever would save his life is going to lose it. Whoever would say, Jesus, you can have my life, they're going to save it. And he says, he says, if you will deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Whoa, Jesus, you make it so hard. It's not a secret personal thing. We've been told your faith is a personal thing. Jesus said it's everything but a personal thing. Your faith is a public thing because it's not just for me. My faith is to bring him glory so that others could see his goodness, so that others could see his glory. That's what makes my life meaningful. In fact, it's the only thing that can truly make our lives meaningful is bringing glory to God. Everything else is window dressing. And if you'll let him He'll take that house and that boat and that job and he'll show you how to see it in eternal ways. My house that gives shelter and comfort, that has the atmosphere of heaven in it because there's worship, guess what? I get to invite people into that place and they get to see the glory of God. That boat that you fish on, which is like my fisher people, right? Is a place of communion with other believers. Is a place where unbelievers can come on and now they're stuck with you because fishing takes a long time. And now they get to sit in the presence of God because that's what you carry as they cast out and reel back. Cast out and reel back. 
right? So it's not that God's against any of those things, but you know, it's different. When you're thinking everything I have is for eternity, then all those things not, don't become things you've got to maintain and control you. They become resources for the real stuff. Yeah? Would you stand? Worship team, come on up. Prayer team, come on up. Jesus had spoken to a woman at a well. She was, a, she was one of those women, right? But she discovered Jesus, yeah. And so she ran into the city and said, you will never believe who I found. Someone who told me everything I ever did. So for someone who has a checkered past, the last thing they want to do is run to the city and say, hey, someone told me, help I'm reminding all of you of all my garbage, right? But that she, was so, she was so transformed by Jesus. She didn't care who thought about her garbage. She was like, I met a man who told me everything I ever did, right? And then they all come out to meet him. All the people who thought she wasn't worthy enough to go draw water with, there's a reason why she's going at noon and not in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Here they come to meet this man. The disciples have spent the entire morning in the city. Not one person got saved. Jesus encountered one woman with a checkered past that no one liked, and the entire city <laughs> comes to faith in him. He's so awesome. So the disciples come out, and again, they don't have bread. And he says, listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You want to be satisfied in life? You want to live a full life? That's it right there. My food is to do as well. My food is to do as well. Your food is to do as well. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places? Come to Jesus and say, I lay it down my whole life, and I just want to do your will. And watch how full your life gets. And watch the kind of people it attracts. He's so good. He's so good. So as you worship, you can come and receive prayer from any of the folks who are here in front. There's also folks in back that can pray with you. You can pray with any believer near you because every believer in the house has the kingdom without measure. But we want to respond to God. What is he stirring up in you? He's stirring up in our congregation, I know, this desire to make him known. This desire to see his glory fill this city and the surrounding areas, which means we've got to get bold. We're getting bold. But what's he stirring up specifically for you? Would you offer that to him? Would you solidify the word he's speaking to you today? Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I've never laid down my life. I've decided to do something my way and I've done it my way, and you realize it's time. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day when everything can change. If that's you, come and talk to one of these folks. If you're sick and body need healing, come get prayer. God's stirring things up when you come get prayer. Let's take some time to respond to him, amen? I feel it in my bones, you're about to move. I feel it in the wind you're about to ride in. You said that you would pour your spirit out. 
You said that you would fall on sons and daughters. So come. I feel it in my bones, you're about to move. I feel it in the wind, you're about to ride in. You said that you would pour your spirit. You said that you would fall in sons and daughters. Select the rain. Select the rain. Come to us in love. Let your glory rush in like a flood. Because we are fixed on this one thing. To know your goodness and see glory oh we're transformed by this one thing to know your presence and see your beauty I can see it now I can see it now, your kingdom come. I can hear it now, the sounds of heaven. You said that if we ask, we'll receive. So we're asking for the greater measure. So like the rain comes drench us in love. Let your power rush in like a flood. Cause we, cause we are based on this one thing to know your goodness and see your glory. Oh, we're transformed by this one thing to know your presence and see.
Oh, and like a flood, 
Just in that attitude of worship, would you just quickly look up and down your row and behind you and in front of you and just say, Father, do you, do you have an encouragement or a word for someone near me? I'm going to leave encouraged. I'm going to leave ready for what comes next this week. Would you just look up and down your row and behind you and in front of you and just say, Father, is there somebody want to speak to you through me. Thank you, Father. Well, you can go ahead and do it. 
<laughs> you can go ahead and do it. We'll just take a minute. Father, I just pray for each person here, God, every, every believer in this room specifically, God, I just pray for the steps you've ordered for this week, for the ways that we have eternal touches you've already set up for this week. Father, I just pray, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Help us not to waste a moment. Help us not to waste a day. Help us not to waste our lives, Lord. Father, help us to do what you're doing, say what you're saying. Help us to be your hands and feet, your voice. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Help us not to overlook the unlikely or the hostile. <laughs> help us just to do exactly what you're doing. Show us the wheel that never squeaks, never gets attention. We just want to do what you're doing, Father, whatever it is. Make us nimble. Make us nimble at following you. Catching the wave of your spirit <laughs> where you're going. Encourage for some of you in this room. You've hit hard patches, and that might be a circumstance. Or it might be something that as you've grown close to the Lord, His holiness has revealed some things, and you're right in the middle of dealing with it. Don't give up. 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 Those are necessary seasons to get where He's taking you. Don't give up and don't get discouraged and feel like you're falling 10 steps back. You're just getting closer to him and he's holy. And the closer you get, the more you're going to see things that he's going to just begin to slough off. And every time you make it past a hard season, you'll realize the yoke is easier, the burden is lighter. His voice is clearer. Your capacity to host his presence is greater. Don't give up. Don't give up. Mm -hmm. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Encourage somebody before you go.